Welcome back to another episode of Have a Dope Day. I'm your host, Gabriel Lopez, also known as GS Automatic on Instagram. Today, I have an entrepreneur, a member of the community, a builder, an employer. So if you need a job, I have Laterica, the owner of Serialism. Hello. Can you please reintroduce yourself fully? <laughs> your first name and last name. No problem. My name is Laterica Reddix Espinoza. The third? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> That's one of them names where you get upset. And you're just like, Laterica Redass. <laughs> All right. So let's, we're going to get into where you are currently, which is the new spot serialism that's opening up in Old Sack. But I really wanted to know where you come from, what your story was. So if you could just help me get through that, as we talked about in the prep, where we start from where your fram- family is from originally. So my family is originally from Clarksdale, Mississippi, so in the South. Okay. And is that where you've lived your entire life? No. Actually, my parents were in the Air Force, my mother and my father. So I kind of say I'm from everywhere. (laughs) I've kind of been Sacramento the longest. So just Sacramento and Sacramento culture, I'm starting to say I'm from Sacramento. Yeah. And you put money into the city, so you're definitely from Sacramento. (laughs) Where are some of the places you've lived in the world? So I was born in Mississippi. Um, After my mom enlisted, we moved to Japan, Japan for a few years, and um, moved back to Mississippi, then to Arizona, then um, to Southern California, so Edwards Air Force Base and the Mojave Desert, and then she retired here in McClellan. That sounds like a whole lot of different places in a small amount of time. How was it going from Mississippi to Japan? So I was pretty young, but I just remember um, just being in festivals and different cultural things as the only little black girl. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> just in it, it was so cool. And I learned so much about different cultures and people. And I remember being in second grade, I could I used to speak fluent Japanese. What? Yeah, but moving back to Mississippi, no one around me spoke Japanese. So I, you know, lost that ability as I got older. You're probably one of the only people in Mississippi who could speak <laughs> Japanese. That's why. It was so That's odd. Wild. I couldn't, I had no one to, you know, to yeah. speak with. So. And then after that came Arizona, after Japan? Yes. So we moved to Arizona. I probably spent the second through the fifth grade in Arizona. And then I, my mom, I um, got stationed in Korea, and I went to live with my grandmother in my sixth grade year in Mississippi again. Back to Mississippi. Back to Mississippi. How was the cultural differences in all these places? Um, it's just completely different. You know, <laughs> yeah, it is. Arizona is closer to you know how it is in California, and you know just with um, West Coast and moving back to the South, have, having been around totally different types of people, it was really difficult. Um, I think I found a lot of things being a lot closed-minded and just the ways of how things um, worked out there was a little different. Now, we had, when we discussed this in the prep, you had mentioned there was a specific event on Sunday that was just specific to Mississippi. Can we talk about that or you want to just skip over that? No, I do remember, you know, even in the late 80s, 90s, um, you know, there were clan marches on Sundays. You know, That's I would crazy. see my grandmother would tell us to get in the house yeah. and 
we would experience that type of um, disconnect with the world. You know, we're still yeah. back in segregation days. We, you know, where we lived, you you actually had to go across town to get to the white neighborhood, you know. So it was really still um, a difference in how we lived back then. And then what was it like going from Mississippi to Arizona, then to Southern, mainly from Mississippi to Southern California. I know. I moved from Mississippi to California. I used to get teased all the times. So I had a really yeah. heavy, that thick Southern accent. So I just remember I would practice, you know, talking in the ba- in the bathroom. And before I would go to school, so I used to always get teased by how I would speak. So I, it was just odd because I, you know, went from Arizona, then Mississippi, and then you adapt a culture there as a young child. Yeah. And I had a Southern accent moving back to California. <laughs> and so it was a, it was a change. Definitely. And I just, when you were telling me that, I was like, dude, that's, that's a lot in a little bit of time. And that's a lot of difference in a little bit of time, especially when you're young, learning how to navigate things socially. Like, so I can, I just can imagine, you know, um, You've spent a lot of time in SoCal before, like, where were you before Sacramento? Remind me. So I was at Edwards Air Force Base. My parents were stationed out there. Um, And it was back in the Mojave Desert, Lancaster, Palmdale. So there's a running joke in your family about what mom and dad did. We don't need to get into that. But (laughs) I did tell Jaya that yesterday, that that your mom and dad worked in a very, like, high-ranking positions. And she was like, what? Mm-hmm. Which mom and dad? I was like, she's only, I think she's only got one mom and dad. She's yeah. like, no way. I told her what you told me about the gun range. And she was like, dude, we've seen her a bunch of times. She doesn't look like that. <laughs> she like, like an innocent yeah. lady. Like yeah. my mom, my parents, they were um, in the Air Force, like I said, but they were key in part of the B2 program. So a lot of things that they did when I was growing up was really top secret. I had no idea. So yeah. we did have a running joke that they were spies. And I remember I, the story I, I recalled was... Um, we went to the, she went to, out to the gun range with her friends and she came home and she had a kill shot yeah. on every yeah, shot. Yeah. I was like, who are you? Yeah, yeah. Like, who is this lady? And she just seems so innocent, but no, they're and spies. For the, for the audience, <laughs> the B2 bomber was like cutting edge. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was stealth technology. It was like the beginning of it. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's amazing. You know, like. Yeah, it was cool um, being in that environment and hearing sonic booms and, and Edwards is a place where the space shuttle landed. Yeah. And so the culture out there was, you know, it was really close tight knit with high school and that sort of thing. You guys lived on base? Yes, we lived on base. Okay. How was it living on base versus like civilian life? Like just living off base? It's a difference because on base and your parents being in the military, like what we did, if we got in trouble, our parents got in trouble, you know? So we really were sheltered as far as, what we did and how we handled things, um, we had it was really strict on base, and so what we did was a reflection of our parents. So we kind of had to stay out of trouble. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What about where does your journey to Sacramento come into play? Like, how did you get here? Why did you come to Sac? So my parents um, moved up here, and I was staying out in Southern California. I worked on the base as a civilian and base supply. And I was working at Magic Mountain. <laughs> so oh, that's cool. I was, you know, out of high school and I was just living out there for a while. And it just got really tough. And my, I was trying not to live with my parents, trying to be on my own yeah. at 18, doing my own thing. But, um, you know, you know, things just changed where, you know, I was trying to go to school and then 
I lost my job. And so I had to like move up here to Sacramento and they were already established up here. So I moved up here and then I started, you know, working for the county um, and that sort of thing. Where did they live in Sacramento? So they live around McClellan, so North area. Oh, Antelope. North Highland. Antelope. Yeah, that's where I'm from. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. God. Did they live in like any of the base housing projects out there? Like, uh, man, it's called the Arbors now. Yeah. So yeah. no, we lived in Antelope, so right outside of that area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, they Arbors are still there. Yeah, they have is. all the stories of what it used to be. And we're like, okay. <laughs> when we were little kids, it was still transitioning from like they had security there. I don't know if it was private owned or whatever yet. But all the kids in that neighborhood would get together on gopeds and motorbikes, and we'd go in there and run from the security mm-hmm. and like just go through that whole little space, <laughs> baseball field, all that. I have a lot of memories in there. It's just oh, so my aunt lived right around the corner. Where did you go to school at out here? So um, I went to high school in Southern California, but when I came out here, um, I went to ARC for a while, studied computer science, um, and then I moved on to like University of Phoenix and then um, I studied computer science for a while. Then I realized it wasn't for me. So I moved to business. And so my parents joked that I was in college for about six, seven yeah. <laughs> years because I switched majors. And so I finally got a degree in business management. Was the move to computer science more of like, why did you do that? Was that more of a security thing? Cause that was like the cutting edge field at the time or so I just thought it was really difficult to branch into computer science because yeah. at that time, you know, back then it was really dominated by Asian males. So okay, yeah. I really found myself having to prove that I was intelligent. I had to yeah. prove that I knew what I was talking about. And really, as a, a black woman in tech, it was very hard. It, it's still hard now, but when you're getting the beginning of, you know, things starting, it was even harder. So um, I've always had a passion for business. And so me switching. And when I went to the University of Phoenix, their program for um, computers wasn't as entailed as um, just any other school. Someone can go to a tech school and learn more about computers than that college. So I switched majors. Okay. And you said you switched to business. Mm -hmm. Was that because you just figured you're going to do your own thing one day? Or what was was the thought process between computer science and then business? You know, I kind of found myself in a situation since I was younger, I was always that kid on the street selling something. <laughs> so business okay. always um, was interest to me. Uh, it was very interesting to me. So I would, you know, I would sell Kool-Aid, you know, I would yeah. have other kids bring me their toys and I would sell their toys oh, and yeah, give them like a quarter. Oh, thank you for bringing this up. I forgot about <laughs> I this. would sell other people's things. And I'm like, I did, it was something that was always fascinating me as a kid. And, and my mom kind of always fed into that. Yeah. So I was I always had an interest in learning about business, and um, so that's why I ended up switching. What, what was your favorite flavor of Kool-Aid growing red. up? Red. Mine's green. Mine's green. Red. Yeah, red is good, too, though. I don't even know what flavor red is, but it's red. <laughs> I, think it, I think it's like Tropical Punch. I don't know. That's cool. Um, okay, so you start. What does business school entail? Like, what, like what types of things are you doing? What type of exercises? What are you learning? What are you guys going over? Um, so we learned marketing, you know, just having to, um, just the finance part of business, just everything that a business entails and how to manage other people in business with, um, um, just as far as writing business plans and all that fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you just br- branching out into that area. Is marketing different then versus now? 
You know, it is. It has completely changed. And that's kind of where that's something I'm really good at. And I yeah. know that's my superpower is okay. branding and marketing. And so I think that's where it comes from, like serialism, what I put forward first in serialism. I'm able to take the knowledge that I had in business and go to toward a restaurant with the idea of marketing and branding first instead yeah. of maybe food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes a lot of sense because those are two different times, very different times, and the technology from one to the next mm -hmm. transform everything. Like, sorry, hit yeah. my own little Yeah, thing. back in, you know, you could do flyers and word of mouth yeah. and that sort of thing. But right now we're so social media driven and we're influenced by influencers. Yeah. And those people, someone likes something, you, you know, it moves other people to like it as well. Okay, we'll put a pin in serialism. I promise we'll get back to it. Mm -hmm. Let's continue with where your story was. When, how long was business school? So about four years. Okay. Mm -hmm. And after business school, what was your profession? What did you do? So I started working for Sacramento County. Um, I worked as an office assistant. Wait, then... in the sheriff's department? No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm just no, kidding. no, no, I'm just no, kidding. no, 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 I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but I um, started working with health in the health field. Okay. Um, the Department of Health and Human Services. And then I became an, um, a lead in the in like the dental and healthcare field. And what does that mean to become a lead in these fields? What kind of things, what does that mean? No, so I was a lead office assistant at that time. And then I thrived to be, um, just learn more about healthcare management. So that degree kind of pushed me into healthcare management. Okay. And what is healthcare management? So I would manage different health centers. So I left the oh. county and worked for the private sector, okay. which, which was, um, with a federally qualified health center. So I work for clinics, basically. And okay. so I manage clinics. With, um, I would manage the you know floor, the organization, the um, employees for health centers. Is that an exciting job? I thought it was exciting. <laughs> you know, I thought that was my goal. Like, my goal was to be a healthcare manager. And when I got there, I realized it really wasn't as fulfilling as I expected it to be. It ended up being a lot of paper pushing yeah. and, you know, if federal health centers, you, you get grants from the federal government. So it was a lot of reporting and realizing that patient care was more um, documenting things for, you know, grants and, and the federal government and reporting rather than as much so patient care. Like we yeah. need to see 15, we need to see this amount of people and they only get 15 minute appointments. And if they have another issue, make them come back so we can bill for that issue. You know, so oh. just the politics around healthcare, I stopped enjoying and you went for people to help people yeah i'm a people person yeah and they were about a system yeah how long did that last for you how long were you in that field so probably up until 2012 i would say let me think <laughs> about 2012 okay and what was like what was the environment, the thought process, your attitude that made you switch fields? Like what was, tell me about that last like six months. Describe it to me if you can. You know, I just gotten married. Um, I was a single mother for about 10 years and then okay. I got, I got married and I had a new baby and I found myself in a position where I was working so much Yeah. and my family was, you know, suffering for that, not yeah. suffering, but it was kind of on the back burner because I would get an email at two o'clock in the morning and I'm up trying to Dang. work. 
And I wanted to be available for my family. I wanted to be able to, hey, take my kids to school, pick them up, and just create that environment of what I wanted and enjoy my life, not what was the life I was building. And so where, what was your ultimate choice to make that happen, to live your best life and not the life you were currently in? So, yeah, that is – living my best life is – ultimately my life goal so I do I just decided I told my husband look I want to resign I don't want to do this anymore and um at the time I was making like I had like a small business on the side while I was managing health centers so I was um decided to um that with that business I was like making skincare products and that sort of thing like it's called high maintenance and I was making you know personal care products so I decided to um, go to aesthetic school and to further that and learn more about um, skincare. You and went to aesthetic school while you're managing health centers? Yeah. So I started, you know, tried to do that at the same time. And yeah. I realized, you know, I had to resign. I could not put all of my focus on um, health care anymore. And so I ended up resigning and going to school again to become an esthetician. Bro, you just like school. I, 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 I do I not like school. <laughs> I actually like school, you know. I always like learning something, something new. Were you one of the older people in esthetician school? Man, I was one of the oldest. I'm sorry. My, we, didn't, my... we didn't talk about this. And I apologize for just burning it on you. but Yes. So I was probably one of the oldest. There's a lot of um, people that were probably 18, 19. And yeah. I'm in my 30s, like starting another career. So, you know. With the family. With a family. Yeah. So it was I took a little seriously, like, okay, this is a big change. How was esthetician school versus, like, what's the environment there versus where you worked at full time? You know, it was really catty. Oh, the girls. <laughs> it's like, this was really, it was really hard. So I was really focused on what I was there for. My goals were a lot different. I was in a different place in my life than someone that may have come out of high school yeah. trying to figure out what they want to do. And then like, you know, deciding to be there, you know, my focus was, I was really serious trying to figure this out and not make it, you know, like a waste of my time. Yeah. So at what point do you actually resign? How far into esthetician school do you go full-time esthetician school? So not far at all. It was probably <laughs> a couple weeks in. And, you know, I, my husband was like, well, whatever you need to do. Yeah. And I felt so bad because I had a good salary. Yeah. <laughs> he married me. We had a, you know, good thing going. I'm like, okay, by the way, <laughs> I'm going to not do anything, not do this right now. So, yeah, but he was so supportive and it allowed me to just focus on something else. And um, once I got into aesthetics... You know, I just knew I'd had to take it, take it from there. What's what exactly does aesthetics mean? Sorry. Oh no problem. So I did skincare. I focused on lashes, brows, um, getting skin to total health. You know, people that may have issues with acne. Yeah. I was I specialized in chemical pills, and you know, correction, corrective skincare. So maybe not the fluffies like spa facials, but I did a lot of corrective things for people in their skin. So again, helping people Please with their go. stuff. Yeah, yes. there you go. Okay, and then where does the other business come into play? After is that during esthetician school, the making skin products and vendoring them? Where right. does that come into play? Right. So 
when I first, when I was vendoring skincare products, it was right before while I was working full time, before I became an esthetician. So I became, I went to school because I wanted to learn more about skin in order to make better products. Okay. But I learned quickly when I was in school that I really enjoyed skincare. So I stopped making products and focused on learning, just learning and being an esthetician and what that would entail. Yeah. And that becomes your new passion. Yes. And you start a business. I start a business. Based on that passion. Yes. I think I'm really driven by passion. And I really have to watch that because I can be like a squirrel kind of yeah. <laughs> mentality. But I just really feel like you should live out those passions and those, those dreams that you have. And um, I yeah, I started a business. Um, when I was in school, I didn't. I realized working in another salon wouldn't be for me. Like I really wanted to work for myself and be in my own environment. Now, what entails opening a esthetician business? So I had to basically find the location, um, get the permits and the um, the licenses, you know, set up in order for me to safely take care of someone's skin and the sanitation and even um, learning learning further. So I was always constantly learning. I got my tattoo license in order, <laughs> in order to do like um, face tats. Face, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm like, kidding. Are you, well, you can call brows face tats, <laughs> but you know, Hey, I can probably do a good stick figure. <laughs> so you, you open a, your own spot and did you start out with the clientele? How does money start coming in from this? So it kind of dropped to zero because oh. <laughs> I opened a spot. I had two clients. I had no clients at all. You know, it was just I had a dream and a goal and a drive to make it work. Yeah. And so I, I think I just had support from my family, you know, to say, okay, this is what you're going to do. I think I could tell my Husband and my parents, I'm selling water too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm selling people their own bottle of water yeah. and they'll be like, oh, that's the best idea ever. So that's they, a lot of faith in you. They're dude. really supportive. Yeah. So, you know, they kind of stuck with me through that. But I really um, set out to find clients and get it going quickly. How did you do that? Through social media? Through social media, through um, like buying Google ads, Facebook ads, okay. Groupon at that time, you know, whatever I needed to do to bring people in. I did this thing where like it was like a word on like a um you would give someone I would walk up to random people act of kindness say I'm going to give you a free facial um you come in for your facial I'm going to give you this packet you do something for someone else and then yeah. so it was sort of like out of that I was building clients too with people coming in like oh my gosh I met you on the street you gave me a free facial and then it, they became repeat customers That's and cool. then they were also able to pay it forward somehow to someone yeah. I don't think I've ever had anybody walk up to me and be like, your face is fucked up. Let me help you. <laughs> you know, I, I had to. You I'm know, just I'm like, like, we had to fix it. <laughs> no, that's cool. Well, it sounds like you don't let anything stop you. And when you put your mind to it, you figure it out. Yeah. With that first business, how long did it take before you had enough clients to support just the business, just to pay the bills and cover the cost of everything? It probably took a, a good year before it didn't come out of pocket. Um, so it's not easy. It wasn't like, bam, it just happened overnight, yeah. but it did take a lot of, you know, putting my own money into it, yeah. money from, you know, my, my, well, my husband's money is our money. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Him helping me and, you know, doing what we needed to do, my family. And then you say about a year in, it starts to pay for itself. How many people does that equate to, do you think? So roughly I would I actually would set my schedule around my kids, dropping them off and picking them up or whatever they okay. have for school. So typically I wouldn't go over probably roughly eight to 10 clients a day. 
Dang. Mm-hmm. Six days a week? Um, yes. That's a lot of people. A lot of people. That's I got so busy. Yeah. I loved it. It was it's really fun. And so at the height of that business, which was very close to where we are now, where were you at clientele wise? Like how many people would come to you for this service? Um I guess it varied, but you know, my I have a client list of probably two hundred and fifty people wow. or more, but not at the at that time. Everyone would come at that same yeah, time. Yeah. But um I had pretty full full schedule. And then you also had mentioned teaching different things inside of the esthetician field. What were some of the things you were teaching? So I developed a eyebrow extension company. Okay. And in that I would travel and teach how to apply eyebrow extensions, which it was sort of like people are like, what is I what are eyebrow extensions? But it was um, adding like eyebrow hairs to the hair. It was like a small part of eyebrow enhancements right before microblading happened. It Mm -hmm. was like a small, like this industry changes so much. So, you know, I built a company around that and I would go around teaching other estheticians how to apply eyebrow extensions. Did anybody do anything crazy with their eyebrows? You know, I had someone like- (laughs) You're about to tell me a horror story. (laughs) You know, like people would actually shave off nice brows just to tattoo them on. And I think that's the oddest thing. (laughs) Or they may not consult with someone ahead of time. And I've had someone like, okay, well, I just wanted you to have a good foundation to do my brows. But I'm like, you took off everything. (laughs) You know, we could work around that and- or I've had people that, um, I specialized in chemical pills. So I would have people that may have um, gone somewhere else for a chemical pill and they come to me and want me to give them one. And I'm like, your face is already peeling. Like yeah. visibly, you can tell me you had nothing happen, but I can visibly see that you were. What's a, Explain to me what a chemical pill is and what that means for the skin. So a chemical pill is sort of like, it is a controlled burn on your skin. Wow, that's so, so scary. So you use this. <laughs> I know. And if you don't know how to properly apply them you can really damage someone so you would um use different products like um, different acids facial acids to apply to their skin it will take off like the first layer of skin in order to to rejuvenate the skin and bring forth that healthy skin yeah get back to a better foundation yeah yeah and you that sounds like some real scientific stuff you studied that, yeah, and you understood you, it. You study, and then you take more classes, and you learn more. You and it and it and it varies from people. Like you can say, okay, I'm putting this product on someone, and I'm like, okay, it's reacting differently. It's because yeah. their great grandmother was Irish, and you didn't feel you oh, failed to ask that question, what? and their skin will be even more sensitive because they have uh, Irish in their background, and Dang. so. It's really about learning about history and people and where they come from, who they are. In order to treat the skin properly, and That's if you don't, wild. if you have someone doesn't doesn't learn about those things, they can really hurt someone. Yeah, because you need the most information up front to see how to go forward best. Right, you make a plan for them. Everyone's yeah. different. It's no cookie cutter way to. So you're them. getting to know 250 people and be a part of 250 <laughs> people's lives. Right. That's crazy. I feel like I I say that my job is really a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> because you know. People lay down, you're behind them. They tell you their entire life yeah, history, the things that they're going on. You're encouraging them. And, you know, I feel like I was a therapist at that time. Not licensed therapist, but. I mean, that's cool, though. That's that's why the barbershop is the way it is. That's why beauty salon is the way it is. It's, part, it's, it's a big, it's more than just looks. You know, mm-hmm. you feel and you start feeling with words. And community, yeah. and people, and you. Be, it's a relationship you're building. Definitely. So what. 
what happened with that business? Why are we not still estheticians? Why are you not still an esthetician? Yeah, COVID happened. Oh. COVID happened. So, you know, during the time when we were all shut down, yeah. you know, spas and salons were shut down. I was closed for 11 months straight. And yeah. so even coming back from that, I'm like, okay, I can pick up where I came off. But I was finding myself with one or two clients all over again. Yeah. Because, you know, even when people started going back getting their hair done, people don't want you in their face, touching their face, yeah. you know, that closeness and that connection that we had with people, it changed. Definitely. And I think that's the way it is now. Mm-hmm. I think that's not going to go away for a lot of people. Right. So during this time, you have a gap, correct? Where you said 11 months you were shut down. Mm-hmm. What were you doing in 11 months? Beside going crazy like all of us about <laughs> what was going to happen next. What was your life like during those 11 months business wise? Like, how are you still paying the bills and everything? Right. I think all the, you know, the COVID things that happened when people were getting income and money, that helped a lot. Um, I didn't did. have that income coming in. So that I was grateful for that. And um, um, just as far as staying busy, I really was like, okay, how do I make money? Like, how do I get in a position where no one can take this from me again? Yeah. This cannot happen. How do I have multiple streams of income? What do yeah. I need to do? So I was learning things like crypto i was trying to learn um i got into forex trading learning how to make money in the stock market without just because i'm like that's something that i can learn that no one can take from me if i learn knowledge properly no one can say hey guess what we're shutting down for again and you can't do this so i was really trying to educate myself on how to properly set up a business build business credit and learn trading i was just really trying to learn something in order to be in a better position did any of those things excite you like the esthetician stuff did yeah so actually i kind of really got into learning about building business credit okay so i was learning like how do you establish business and i learned that there's a whole world open that people build an identity off of their business you know even though i had a business i still was operating it like it was a hobby. Okay. And so me being able to establish a six, um, a business, business credit, establishing myself on that end. And then um, also I started learning um, how to do um, foreign exchange. That became exciting. But I kind of laser focus on things. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, you know. Go from there. Go from there. Yeah. Okay. Where... <clears throat> In the prep, we talked. I asked you how did the idea, the the idea for serialism, come into play? And you shared a story with me about a road trip and a milkshake. Mm-hmm. Remind me where that story comes into play to the timeline we're at now. Like during COVID, was that story before COVID or during COVID? Yeah, it was before COVID. Um, so one day, my you know my daughter was like, oh. We were on a trip to um, Texas. We were in Texas, and my mm-hmm. um, nephew was graduating from um, tech, some school or something. Yeah. But we went to visit him, and um, while we were in Texas, my daughter was like, oh, we need to go to this this place to get this milkshake I've seen on, on, on the internet. We have to go there to get it. So we drove, I don't know, like 20 minutes to get this milkshake. Yeah. She gets the milkshake. 
she takes her pictures and then she's like, okay, do you guys want this? And we're like, you're not going to eat this milkshake? Yeah. And she was like, no, <laughs> I can't eat all this. I'm grateful like, ass just, kids. Right, no, like, we kidding. drove all this <laughs> yeah. way just for you to take a picture? Yeah. And she was like, yeah. And I'm like, whoa, we really did drive 20 minutes for you yeah. to take a picture. And so, she was extremely excited about it. She was excited and she got what she needed and she was over it. Like she was yeah. over the whole milkshake. So I was like, okay. So that kind of really stuck with me. Like, you know, just her building her content and she was really interested in, and her content drove her to do what she did, you know, to create. Drove her actions <laughs> right. and for her to spend money. Right. So there was another story that was associated with that same event and it was between you and a couple of other people and you guys are kind of just reminiscing on old, it's basically Saturday mornings mm -hmm. and your daughter had mentioned something to you that really stuck with you. Do you remember what that was? You want to share that? Yeah, we were, uh, my sister and I, we were talking to our kids about how Saturday mornings used to be an event. Yeah. It was something you look forward to. We didn't have 24-hour cartoons. Yeah, go on just, demand. Right. Yeah. You, it was on Saturday. And if you didn't wake up in time, you missed cartoons for the entire week. So we would have to, um, we were just explaining how it was an event for us. And we were talking about how do we package Saturday mornings? Like we got up, we got our cereal. Yeah. You enjoyed your Saturday, and we wanted to have that feeling every day. We wanted to experience Saturday mornings every day. And my daughter was like, well, if you're not, you know, how are we going to do this? And we're like, well, how can we do it? We're like, well, cereal, but what if we open a cereal bar? This is like yeah. 12 years ago. Yeah. And then she's like, well, I don't want to talk about opening a cereal bar if we're not going to do it. And we were like, I promise you, we're going to do it. Someday. Someday it's going to happen. So it's been a long time, but, you know, we're going to bring Saturday mornings every day to Sacramento. So that was one thing that really captivated me because I didn't put those things together because I had very limited information because Jaya's not spilling the beans. <laughs> Yuli's not spilling the beans. They're not telling uh, me what's going on in this place, but I keep seeing pictures and I'm like, pictures. dude, what's the story behind this place? It looks cool. So when we had spoken about doing this podcast and, and you know, going forward and everything, I that was one of the things I asked you, like, Where'd this come from? And when you shared that story with me, automatically I could see my grandparents' living room TV, which was bigger than the other TVs. I sat on the floor in the morning. I'd get my cereal. And again, cartoons would come on. And like Saturday morning was like, it was the event. You woke up before 8 a.m. where you wouldn't get your butt out of bed that quick mm. during the week for school. But for Saturday morning, you'd get up. Mm -hmm. Make sure you were there. Even when it was cold in front of the TV with blankets, like pillows, cousins would sleep over, you go sleep over. And it was like, everybody was on the same page about Saturday morning. And if you didn't catch what happened last week that went along with what's going on this week, and then they dropped that little hint on you for next week, like it was very exciting. And because it was limited, it became more valuable to us. Right. And that becomes part of the child, the fabric of our childhood, right? So like the new generation doesn't have that. Mm -hmm. My kids can just do that whenever they want. Yeah. And because of that, these guys will have so many options mm -hmm. on Netflix that they spend 10 minutes just looking for shit, scrolling mm -hmm. through so fast. And I'm like, dude, pick something. It's like, I, I already seen all these. And like, it's definitely different. So when you said Saturday morning, I was like, yo, that's fire. That is so fire. Right. That is they so tight. They don't understand. It was just such an event for us. And it was such a foundation of who we are as you know, yeah. you know, growing up and they, yeah, they have access. Now they just watch other people play with toys. Watch other people do fun <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Okay, and so 
you got 12 years ago, you had a conversation, a road trip that happened in between all that. And then we have COVID. How do we get the ball rolling on serialism as a business? What's the first step for you? So um, right before COVID, I was part of the Calling All Dreamers program with um, um, Sacramento Downtown Partnership. Okay. Um, I did not win that competition, but through that, they partnered you with a um, like a mentor. We had to have a pitch deck, and they helped me to take that idea from an idea to an actual business. Okay. So I had to actually quantify every single thing, like how much does it actually take to sell a bowl of cereal? How much is a cereal, the bowl, everything it's going to cost? So it made me really focus on taking something from an idea and a dream to, to make it in reality. Yeah. So I was sitting home during COVID. I was like, okay, okay. We got, you know, different things started coming in. I'm like, okay, I need to make the best use of this time. Like I'm about to transition. Like, how can I do this? What needs to happen in order for me to follow this dream I've had of opening a cereal bar. So one day I was like, I'm going to open this, I'm going to open this thing. And I started looking for, you know, locations. I had didn't have a lot, but I was like, let me just start looking and start. And then I know what I need to put together in order to make it happen. So how far was the Dreamers contest to the actual looking for location? So we found out we, um, I didn't win um, November of 19. Yeah. And so like I would have been opening February of 2020, that would have been the end of my entire business. And I'm so, I look back on it now and you think things happen. I I was devastated, but now I see, I feel so grateful that I did not win because I wouldn't be here. Like that wouldn't have been able to survive that. Okay. And so you start, oh, forgive me, adjusting my seat. Um, You start looking for locations during COVID, right? Mm Mm-hmm. How exactly was that process? Was it was it an easy, breezy process? It was a everything was shut down. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with in my yeah. life. Like I f- first I went and you know I was like, okay, all these places are shutting down. And I was like, and then I started feeling bad. Like, oh my gosh, I'm trying to profit off of people's clothing. Yeah, closing down. But I'm like, there's there. It's been a time where there were so many um, um, storefronts available, but then it was still hard to get into. Like when I would inquire about it, people already made assumptions off of who I was just by my name, you know, calling me back, berating me. Oh, there's people here that have millions of dollars in Sacramento that can just open up a restaurant. Why would we give it to you? Like, how do we know you'll be able to do it? So I, I spent a year almost trying to prove that I can do this thing and just give me the chance, you know, and this is what, how much money I have, you know, this is where I am. And this is, you know, I have it all laid out. I feel like even though I had a foundation, I had a plan, I had the backing, it was still, I had to prove myself a different way. And then it was hard. People weren't taking me seriously or people would see the idea of a cereal bar and be like, who would come out to eat cereal? You know, um, I can eat cereal at home. So if you open a bar, what makes you think people are going to come eat cereal? And I'm like, I'm selling Saturday. You guys don't get it. I'm selling an experience and not just cereal. And people, you know, it just took a lot of people of nose just to keep pushing, just to keep pushing forward. I've had people tell me no recently, and it's very nice. It's very soft. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really, like, you still know it's no, but it doesn't hurt. Like, as if mom and dad tell you no. 
Mm-hmm. Are these people being nice and soft or are they being like just straight blunt with you when they're telling you no? Um, they were, it was vicious. Like okay. I was so shocked. I remember one specific conversation I had, I literally called a location in Sacramento and I was like, Hey, my name's Laterica. And, yeah. um, I left a voicemail and I was like, okay, I'm interested in this location. I saw the specs on it. Can you just give me a call back just to let me know what I need to do to move forward on yeah. talking with you on this location? And then probably like two days later, I get a call back and was like, that's all. That was all. I just asked for information. Yeah. And he he called and berated me so badly that he was like, what makes you think? He goes, I have millions of dollars of equipment in there. Yeah. I want someone that could actually take care of that equipment, not someone like you that just wants to come in. I was like, what do you mean someone like me? You yeah. don't know how much money. We didn't have a discussion of how much money I had. Yeah. We didn't have a discussion on my abilities. You didn't see my business plan. You know, and he basically just told me it would never happen and I should stop looking. And I'm like, you have a vacant place that's been vacant for a year, but yeah. still you won't even have a conversation with me about moving forward. So, I mean, I remember leaving that conversation. I cried all night. <laughs> My yeah. husband was like, you know, don't worry about it. That's not your place. We'll find another place. And so that, at that moment, I knew that Laterica could not be the face of moving forward in Sacramento to get what I need done. And I ended up hiring a, um, I hired a lease coach. Okay. And so I hired uh, a gentleman that focused on lease, um, leases specifically, and he got me in the door like the next day. Yeah. Everywhere that I inquired about. And so, you know, it was a big learning lesson for me. Um, it was very difficult. But um, I finally found someone that listened to him and he spoke for me and it, they actually gave me a chance. That sucks, but in business, you might have to. You know, pivot. You got to keep it moving. You got to keep it moving. It did suck, but hey. So where does the location come into play? How long after the business or the lease coach do you get a lease agreement signed and you're in the space? It was literally less than a month. It was like a month of him talking. They got me in. I looked at everything. He negotiated a lease for me. He asked, you know, put in our requirements and we signed the lease for Old Sacramento. And when you got the call that the space was in Old Sacramento, what did you think? It was actually my number one. Really? It was actually my number one choice when I first started out with the um, competition. Yeah. Um, and and it was funny because I was looking everywhere else. And I call that, I called like if I would have gotten another place, it would have been a consolation prize, something that I just accepted, but it wasn't yeah. the exact location that I wanted. So it was a lesson for me. Like you should go for what you want. And I should have stuck to that. Yeah, and it seems like, too, like, it was a blessing for that dude to yell at you a little bit. Or you turned it into a blessing. <laughs> That's was. what we'll say. It was. I mean, it was crazy. But, you know, I, I'm grateful I'm not in that location because, you know, I look yeah. back at it, it's still vacant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was going to I wanted to note that you lead with passion, right? Everything you're doing is out of passion, whether it's passion to survive, or passion to thrive, or you just aren't happy with where you are. But leading with passion means you don't let things stop you. So when somebody does chew you out and make you cry, you you don't, yes, you go through those emotions, but you still proceed forward, mm-hmm. right? And you just figure a way out. And I think that's one of the best ways to just live life, basically. You know, people are going to say no. It's one of my things. Like, I feel like 
there's always an answer. There's always a solution. It's not always the easiest thing, but in any situation, in any circumstance, there's always an answer. Yeah. There's always a solution. So I just like, okay, how? what's the next move? How do I figure it out to get yeah. my yes? Like, what do I need to do to get what I need done? done? Okay. So we got a lease. We're in the area you wanted to be in. Why did you pick Old Sac? I um, picked Old Sac because... I wanted to bring back the nostalgic feeling of sa- of Saturday morning. Yeah. So that was my first, like, where's the most nostalgic place in Sacramento? And that's yeah. old Sacramento. Definitely is. So even though I have a modern twist on what I believe Saturday mornings is, I wanted that when people go into old Sacramento, they automatically go back into time. Yeah. So you have no choice but to have a mindset of being, you know, that that memory. And do you accredit that to your marketing skills? I do. Yeah, that's far. <laughs> so you, okay, you're in old SAC. Now you have eyes on the space. How do you go from transforming the space to where it is when you get the lease to where you are satisfied with the vision? Was that an easy process? And what was the first step in that process? So during that process, I've, I've been working on it for some time. Like what I wanted to see, what I needed to come out of serialism, what what was our brand identity and yeah. who we were going to be. Um, I did have, I laid out, okay, when I got into the space, it was so huge. I'm like, okay, I, I'm, I think I'm a very creative person, mm-hmm. but I didn't want it to look like a, um, like a paper mache kind of product DIY, you know, yeah. environment. So I knew I had to incorporate the knowledge and the skills of artists in order to bring that vision to light. Yeah. So I um, looked for um, different artists in Sacramento, and um, I came across um, Yuli Smith. Yeah. I know we've talked about her, and, and I just let her know my vision. And she, it was just like a connection. Like she's yeah. like, "Oh my gosh!" And her color palette and what she based her um, artistry on was kind of, you know, it drew my eye because it's like what I wanted to base my entire business off of. Yeah. And so connecting with her and telling her the vision, she was like, I can put a team together for you. Yeah, and definitely. It, it just went from there. So I'm going to put a pin in Yuli and the team. Are you able to paint the walls in the space? Like it's, it's, we had talked about it being historical, right? So one of the conditions in the lease is you weren't allowed to paint the brick or the walls. Mm-hmm. How did you go about getting around that? So since I couldn't touch the space and the historic nature of the building, which is understandable, um, my next question was like, okay, I can't paint in here. Can I put up a wall to paint? Yeah. And they're like, whoa, well, we didn't think about that. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so I talk with the landlord. I'm like, okay, if I put up walls in front of the brick, will we be able to, to do that in yeah. order to have a blank canvas? And he was like, yeah, so that's all I needed to know. Yeah. So I began to erect walls all around the building. So the the foundation of that building is still amazing. It's still there and unharmed. And yeah. we were able to erect walls in front of the brick where it doesn't touch it at all. Or, it's you just know, cosmetic. Effect. Yeah, It's cosmetic. And it just opened our division up even more because it was like an artist's canvas. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, my gosh. So that was one thing that stuck out to me when we did the Yuli interview and she was telling me about going into that space was that you had, you believed what came through to me was you believed in the vision so strongly that you 
put up an extra wall, which is a financial commitment, right? And it's a time commitment, Mm -hmm. but it's necessary to keep your vision. And again, that's leading with passion, right? We, when we talked about this, people had tried to talk you out of putting up walls or try to talk you into doing it a different way, but you knew what you wanted the end result to look like. And one thing that stuck out to me interviewing all three of you guys so far is the everybody's leading with passion. Jaya, you, Yuli. That's one of the reasons why you guys click. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, people can tell you no all day long and you're just going to keep going for it. So That, that now, passion is something no one can take from yeah. me. No one can alter it. No one can take from me and no one can replicate it because yeah. it's only it's something that you hold and possess that, that no one else has. And it's so unique to you. Yeah. Only you can make it happen. So someone else may say, hey, I'm about to open a cereal bar. I'm like, go ahead. It's not intimidating to me because they don't have that passion I have. They don't yeah. have the the vision that I have in order to make mine the way it is. Exactly. Now let's talk about making it yours. You contact Yuli. She contacts you back. You guys start the preliminary conversations on this space, right? When do you start? To meet the other artists in the team. Okay, so Yuli must have thought I was off my rock and relax. When I saw her and the art that she produced, I emailed her. And I'm like, maybe she didn't get that email. I emailed her again. Yeah, I yeah. DM'd her. I'm like, wait a minute. This is like all in a few minutes. So I'm like, okay. So she finally calls me back. And she's like, hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, I was telling her my vision. She goes, oh, it sounds so cool. So it was so important to her when we met. We just really clicked. And um. I just told her I wanted to commission several artists to have their own space. I have four different rooms. I wanted each room designed by someone different. Yeah. And um, when she said that, she was like, okay, I know artists, but I want someone that will connect with your vision in order to say, okay, this is what your room is. This is what you want to see from it. And then they'll put in their own special touch into it. Yeah. It was important for me to, to do that with other artists because, um, I just, just the artistry, there's something that people cannot replicate. I didn't want a cookie cutter type of place. Yeah. I wanted to actually feel the the fibers of who they were in their art. Yeah. Um, and, and she was able to connect me with other artists. And when she finally got the team together and they signed on, Jaya is completely, she's amazing. She's mm-hmm. so busy. <laughs> yeah. And just for her saying, okay, I'm going to do this. You know, I just felt so, you know, just honored to be in their presence to, you know, for them to help me with this project. And they, uh, they definitely talk good about you every time we talk. They definitely enjoyed the experience of that space. They made it all happen without having any experience in some of the installation pieces, too. Now, Jai's, Jai's OG. She knows what she's doing. Yuli, on the other hand, is a little bit younger in some things, like, let's say, sculpture or whatever. She was telling me about her process to making the Fruit Loops mm-hmm. and that she, when she figured it out and she told me her process, I was, I was impressed because I was like, yo, that makes perfect sense, right? Like, the way she's thinking about solving this problem is tight. Like, I would have probably done it three different ways, messed it up three different times, <laughs> but it came out right. And she ended up doing this waterfall that had, like... Uh, Fruit Loops floating in it And when I seen the picture for it I was like Dude that's crazy Like It makes sense Why those guys got together And did that And how And it is And and why it looks the way it is She had mentioned something About a ship Captain Crunch's ship Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit more About this ship 
So I, when I was when I was opening Serialism, I ran across an auction of, um, you know, um, it was like a party supply auction that was clo- a place that was closing, and they had a ship. And when I saw that, I was like, "That's my ship!" What? <laughs> I went to war bidding on this ship, and I got this ship. And it's so funny. I kept telling um, Yuli, I was like, "Yeah, I have a ship." It's 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 kind of big, but she's like, okay. So she we designed the. I didn't. What my downfall is, I don't measure. Oh, you didn't <laughs> have to like dimensions. measure once, yeah, and then yeah. move forward. I'm like, ah, oh, it's probably like ten feet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, it's a 19 foot ship. Dang. <laughs> and so she had to redesign everything. She's like, this is a huge ship. I was like, yeah. I didn't. You know, it was just funny because um, I turned it. We painted it and turned it into like a bar where you could sit and eat at the ship. So That's cool. I wanted every ounce of that place to be immersive. I developed it for creators and creatives so that people can come and create content and surrounding their bowl of cereal. Yeah. And they can create the content um, and not just have a wall where you go take a wall on the Instagram yeah. wall. You know, it, every ounce will be for pictures. Yeah, every square inch of the place. Every inch. To quote your guys' words, Instagrammable. <laughs> Yeah. Instagrammable. So let's talk about why you wanted to make it like that. And how are you obtaining that? How are you keeping that consistent? Where does that come into play? Because you're we're from a different generation and the Saturday morning experience comes from our generation, right? Mm-hmm. Or the generations. I'm a little bit different age, but like the new generation doesn't know about this. How are you able to even consider Instagrammable? Like, where does that come into play to the plan? Um, it's just understanding marketing. Things have changed. Like, you can't just pass out a fire. Like, you know, yeah. like I said, it, it has to change. And we need to evolve into that change. And a lot of times, uh, you know, I'm 44. You know, a lot of yeah. generations, yeah. Uh, you know, my age they or older, they don't like to change. And yeah. I have a 20-year-old and she keeps me young, you know. So I really have to stay on top of what's happening in the world. And I see marketing from that eyes, I did some research and realized that now micro-influencers, and micro-influencers are social media influencers that have under 5,000 followers, about 1,500 to 5,000. They're able to mobilize a city a lot faster than even um, huge influencers. So in order to tap into micro-influencers and those that um, have that voice, I wanted to create the space for them. Yeah. And um, that's kind of the premise of me moving forward with surrealism. See, and so I'm glad you mentioned your daughter. Now, you have a hiring process that you've developed, right? Mm-hmm. How was it learning how to hire people from their generation versus your generation? What are the differences and challenges? Oh, my gosh. It's so funny because I did have hiring. Everyone reached out. They filled out the form. And then when I went to... And contact everyone. I'm like emailing. I'm like, I'm not hearing back from anyone. She goes, Mom, you got to DM them. I'm yeah. like, I'm not DMing anyone. If they want a job, they need to check their email. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, No, Mom, you're not going to hear back from anyone. You should DM them. Yeah. I was like, When I get DMs, I think it's a scam. I'm not DMing them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so I'm like sitting there a week later and I actually sent a you know, phone call. I tried to call. People weren't answering the phone. And yeah. she was, I was like, I had like three people out of 30 like respond to me. She's like, mom, just DM them. I was like, you really, I was like, this doesn't seem professional. Yeah. And I was like, she's like, well, the market, she goes, my age, we're not going to answer the phone. We're yeah. not going to check the email. It's probably in the spam. No one's like, who is this calling me? They're just sending you 
So I'm like, okay, fine. So I send a quick DM to everyone. And then they're like, oh, I've been waiting for you to contact me. And I'm like, whoa, this is so weird. So I'm still learning stuff, you know. Yeah. Because I'm like, I who would have thought a DM would get someone to respond to a job? And, and that made me put my mindset in, you know, a different, you know, place. a different plane. Yeah, a different place because my space is for um, Gen Z and millennials. And so now... Me from being in my 40s have to think that way, Yeah, you know, again. <laughs> yeah, and I think you have the right combination of all these things. It's very exciting to see what's going to happen. The space is built for content creation, or it's a part of it, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have a unique product, which is a cereal bar. Then you have, like, just the whole plan to just drive it on social and on different platforms in one of the most popular places in town. You can't go to old Sacramento on a Saturday or Sunday without waiting Mm -hmm. for one of them parking spaces to open up or driving around each one of those blocks multiple times looking for a space like that. That that place is never not packed. Mm -hmm. So it's exciting to just see what comes of all this. Now, where are we at with like the hiring process and do you have a full staff yet? Are you, what are some of the things the staff is having to do in order to qualify for the job? So that's interesting that you asked that because um, I'm still hiring. I still need more people so um, they can go to the website to, you know, to apply. But um, I think people are shocked because they're thinking, okay, I'm just making cereal. It's a cafe. But part of my requirements, um, when they come to the interview, they have to create content. So they're going to have to bring, they need to um, bring a TikTok or a reel. They yeah. need to bring a photo post and they need to show me a story post where they're engaging and asking questions yeah. to their audience to bring them in. So it's been so interesting because everyone, people that don't create have been coming in, showing me their TikToks they've had to create and figuring yeah. out another platform. So part of the job will be content creation. So we're inviting in creators so then the people there need to know about creating content so let me just state this for you guys that didn't pick that up she's gonna pay you to fuck around on your phone all day (laughs) right that's what's gonna happen (laughs) if you can cut it if you're talented she's gonna pay you to be on your phone this is probably one of the only jobs that that's gonna happen at right okay so what are some of the things we can look forward to Oh, oh sorry let me backtrack Something I want to point out, because when you said it to me, I was like, yo, that's valuable. Sorry to just jump around like this. You had talked about coming up with some type of way to compensate the people that make the reels according to the traction the reels and stuff get. Mm -hmm. That's something you don't hear very often. That's a very honest way of doing business with people. Because somebody could say, well, you work for me, whatever you make during this time, according Mm -hmm. to the businesses for us. But like cutting them in on on the stuff that they're doing for the business, I think is very cool. And I just wanted to point that out. Now, you don't have to get into all that right now, but I think that's just very cool and worth talking about. So you're definitely trying to be fair with people from the gate. What are some of the things that the uniform is going to look like or the environment inside is going to look like? Are people going to be in like old soda shop, like striped hats or like what are we what are we talking uniform wise? So when you come in, when you think of Saturday mornings, you think of being comfortable in your pajamas. So our uniforms would be like a serialism shirt with striped pajamas. Yeah. 
you know, we have pajama days, you know, and different themed um, things for customers to come in to. So our uniforms would be more pajamas and um, that sort of thing. So she's going to pay you to be on your phone in your pajamas. <laughs> you shouldn't have a hard time getting people to come work there. Hey, please apply. <laughs> okay, so there's another aspect to this space that we haven't talked about yet. And that's the video game part of it. Tell me about how that even comes into play for the space you're leasing. Like, why video games? So in that space, it used to be the old um, time zone in Sacramento. So part of my um, part of my structure was to have video games, but being okay. in that space is very historic as well. Being in that space and adding video games is historic because when I have the generations that aren't young, the older generations that come by that lived in Sacramento for years, they were like, oh my gosh, this used to be the old time zone. I remember coming here as a kid. Yeah. So I'm in the time zone. I want to pay homage to that, that era of Sacramento. So yeah, yeah we may not have like the old style video game, but we have Nintendo Switch, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, we'll bring it in that you can have that original Mario, you can play Mario yeah. and, you know, all the, you know, original Nintendo games as well. But we wanted to be able to bring back, you know, we we didn't forget of older generations. If they come yeah. in there, they're going to remember, okay, I was at the time zone. I can still come back here and play video games. We yeah. didn't change that part of the space and the same areas where, Video games were happening. We have that, you know, set up again. Is Time Zone like an arcade? It used to be an arcade. Okay. In Sacramento. And um, it's it's interesting because you would see, you know, older generations coming by and they're coming back. They're like, you know, when I was just opening, I'd stand outside. They'd be like, oh, I used to come here and play video games. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. So you got built-in nostalgia. Yeah, they have it back. That's exciting. That's part of that. <laughs> you want to share some of the... Uh, challenges with incorporating video games into a business model well what you don't know yeah <laughs> about sacramento you need certain permits you know still to have video games and it was something i learned i didn't know i'm not a restaurateur i didn't know anything of, you know i'm yeah. learning as i go and so in order to have um, my video games i was told okay i need a permit for video games and then if i had over three video games, I was told at that time I needed to have a full entertainment permit, wow. which adds thousands of dollars on wow. my initial cost yeah. in order to have video games. And so, you know, part of me was like, okay, well, we're not going to have video games. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, no, this is what I wanted to do. This is who we are. I can't change that part of my business model. So we had to incorporate what the city required in order to have them there. Yeah, and I think it's very dope that you're not compromising according to your own standard and letting money dictate what the experience has. So let me run this down just from my own brain. There's a Captain Crunch actual ship in there. We have a Fruit Loop waterfall, a video game space that's based off Mario World. And what exactly are the serials you're going to be serving and what are the options with it? Is it just milk and cereal? What's the, what's the actual food part of this? Okay. So you'll be able to take your bowl of cereal at as many cereals up to five, up to five cereals. Okay. As, and you can add toppings like a yogurt bar. 
You okay. can eat it as a bowl of cereal. You can choose your milk option. So you can have um, whole milk, 2%. If you want regular milk with lactose-free, you can have lactose-free milk. Yeah. You can have nut-based milk or even rice milk. We have an horchata that you can put into Ooh, your cereal. Oh, that's fire. Yeah. So all of our bowls are named after cartoons. So what? we have a bowl called Carmen San Diego. Do you remember oh, what? That? I do, yeah. Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Yeah. yeah. And so that bowl has um, churros in it. And you can yeah, add- Yeah, um, that's fire. Horchata milk. Um, then we have like um, a Richie Rich, which is like full what? of chocolate. Yeah, that's that cool. That kind of thing. So we have bowls that are uh, after old school cartoons. Please keep going with the bowls if you have more, That like the names <laughs> and what they are. Strawberry Shortcake Bowl. Um a Magilla Gorilla. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm putting together a... Sacramento King's Bowl. Oh, what? And pay homage to the Kings are right there in King's yeah, territory, yeah. but it's called Space Jam, and you'll be oh, able yeah, to like dope. eat it out of a, a basketball hoop. You oh, know? what? So even your bowl of cereal will be um, picturesque, where you'll take a picture of it as well. So the bowl is actually not just a regular bowl. It's not just a regular bowl. They're kind of like bowls on steroids. There you go. Or you, if you want to come in and have cornflakes and strawberries you can do that too we like cornflake people yeah yeah <laughs> but um then you can take that bowl and you can create it you can blend it into a uh, ice cream what you can blend it ice cream or a milkshake and what was important to me is like i'm lactose intolerant i can't yeah, yeah. have milk and this so whole family's I, on mine too yeah so i wanted to make sure even our ice cream you can have options with ice cream in the milk that you put in there because i miss having milkshakes i miss yeah. milkshakes and so i wanted to be able to have one so i'm going to make sure that we um we're cognizant of other people yeah and then we have cereal themed desserts like cakes and also um, like a cereal pizza what? cereal tacos what cereal sushi <laughs> you got cereal tacos cereal tacos How so like a taco taco explain that to me it's sort of like a taco taco oh, so um you can take the shell you can add um you has ice cream and it has like a chocolate shell but then it's topped with different cereals instead of just nuts that's fire so um we wanted to take everyday concepts that you're eating and make it cereal. Like, how can we make this pizza a dessert pizza? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Who are you designing this menu with? Uh, my mom. <laughs> with your mom? <laughs> and my daughters. Wow, I'm that's not a, cool. I'm not sure, but we're good at food. So oh, so this is an entire family's family. idea. Entire family. We've been coming up with concepts, and it, it's really fun. That's crazy. Is your daughter having to go back and Google who Carmen San Diego is? Right. Like, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We uh we share a lot of this stuff with our kids and like the holidays are are very cool because we share our childhood stuff with them mm. and they're just like this doesn't make any sense. Why would you do this? This is like we know about Elf and Elf on the Shelf and this and that. And we're like, "No, Rudolph." And they're just like, "No, who's Rudolph?" No. <laughs> Elf, he's born he's a human born in the Elf world. And I'm like <laughs> going back and forth about things we grew up with. So it's it's definitely fun to trip them out and have them be like, why did you used to watch this? <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's it's just part of me like incorporating the older generations in. Yeah. So even though my space is for the content and it's more modern, I do have like those elements where someone else can come in and be like, oh, okay, we have the video games. We have these cartoons. I remember yeah. the cartoons that, you know, you know, my kids don't know who McGilla Gorilla is, yeah, yeah. but they're, they'll probably order it. And, yeah. you know, their mom will be like, oh, my gosh, I remember that cartoon. Yeah. You know? That's crazy. When can we expect the opening? Do we have any type of timeline as of right I, now? As of last week, I got my um, inspection date for the 14th. 
Okay. So as soon as I have that, I'm on the ground running, and we will announce an opening date. And I know someone re- um, printed that we were open, and so I've been getting oh. so many people come by or inquiring, and I feel so bad, but no, we're not open yet. Not yet. We're, we're almost there. Well, it takes time to get it right. Is there a plan for the grand opening? What what type of things you got that you're thinking about? <laughs> and I know nobody else has this right now. Nobody. So whatever you could tell me, if you tight, and if you don't want to share, that's cool too. Yeah. So we want to play off of um, the ideal of serial killers. What? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect serial that. Serial killers are welcome in Sacramento. What? And at um, serialism, and also um, we're kind of going back and forth if we should have a pajama jammy jam oh, or yeah. we should have some type of themed. Um, opening. That's cool. <laughs> Serial. I didn't expect you to say that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that basically, well, I'm just excited to see it. I just want to see it now. I want to taste it. I want to, you know, I want to get in there. And I know other people too are anticipating the opening for it. Um, Is there anything else you want to talk about as we conclude this episode that just highlights this whole journey or even your excitement for the future, just, you know, we got a couple of hundred people consecutively, a couple thousand that listen to this podcast. So is there anything you want to say? You know what? Like I can, you can easily see someone doing a business and creating something and you see the end result of it and you don't always hear their story or what happened to get there. And it's not always easy. Like you may want something that someone has, but I really feel that you are given your own vision, your own desires Definitely. and goals to accomplish. And I live my life where I feel like every, like I've had so many different, you've highlighted different jobs, yeah. like I'm sitting yeah. all over the place. But I really live my life with um, being able to fulfill my best life. And that's every dream and goal I have. I'm going to spend some time focused on making that happen. So if yeah. it changes, guess what? I'm going to change next yeah. year if I want to go and become a, a monk next year. I'm going to be a monk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, whatever. But um, it's not easy. It's not easy in making that change. But it's always an answer. There's always a decision. There's Definitely. always a decision to change. There's always a decision to move forward. You just have to make that decision and, and keep going at it, even no matter how hard it is, because it will happen. And if, if you get a no, guess what? what what's going what's gonna to happen to get me the yes? What do I yeah. need to do? And then do what it takes to do to get that yes. There's always an answer and there's always a solution to your no's. So that's how I live my life. And I just really want other people to purposefully live their life exactly. that way yeah. as well. So we're going to classify that as your idea of a dope day. All that, I forgot to ask the question, but... <laughs> That's what we're going to call it. So this has been your story. We're excited to see serialism. Um, I just want to thank you for your time and for trusting me with the story. And this podcast has been brought to you by We Are Sacramento in the Loft.